0: This is Talking Pictures. Hello and welcome to Talking Pictures, your essential guide to the movies with me, Frida Cooper. And fasten your seatbelts for this week's edition because there's some really powerful stuff among the new releases. Boxing movie Jawbone will smack you right between the eyes. The levelling wears its heart on its sleeve and as for Miss Sloan... You're a piece of work, Elizabeth. If you want to set yourself on fire, the service you need to win, I won't protest. The end is my concern.
1: You liberal goody-goodies can fret over the means. You need me.
0: Were you ever normal as a child? Over the twisted thought processes in your mind hardwired in the womb? Because I am having a really hard time understanding how somebody gets to this.
1: Yes, I'm just a piece of work.
0: And Miss Sloane herself, a.k.a. Jessica Chastain, is in the hot seat for the big interview. On DVD, it's a Liam Neeson double bill with Martin Scorsese's Silence and a Monster Calls. Plus, there's the new top five at the British box office and the latest movie news headlines, all in around 20 minutes. First up, it's the new releases, and I'm starting with Miss Sloane, the latest from Oscar-nominated director John Madden. It's in cinemas now, Certificate 15, and it's a thriller set in the world of political lobbying, dominated by the Miss Sloane of the title, who's played by Jessica Chastain. And the fact that she's such a powerful character was the starting point for her conversation with Kerry ann McNally in this week's Big Interview.
1: I was really impressed by the character of Elizabeth. I love that she's um, the most most intelligent person in in any room and that she is manipulative and and ambitious and prepared and a little bit of ruthless and complicated. I love female characters that shatter uh, stereotypes and status quo of what a woman is perceived to be. Uh, So it was a great joy to play her. And the lobbying industry is notoriously secret. It's not an aspect of politics we really hear about. How much research were you able to do for Elizabeth? I started by reading Jack Abramoff's book. He's an American lobbyist uh, that ended up in jail. He was very successful, but he did some bad things. And I, his book is so educational in terms of um, what lobbying is. I started there, and then I Googled powerful, successful female lobbyists in D.C. and found went through all these lists that I found, uh, created a list of about a dozen women. I went to DC and met with them. I shadowed someone on Capitol Hill. I shadowed someone at a fundraiser. We spent the weekend together and it was so influential and I don't know how I would have prepared this character without talking um, to all those lobbyists. How crucial do you think Elizabeth's clothes were for her formidable persona and for you as an actor to get into character? Elizabeth wardrobe is very important. It's her war uniform. Um, she, Elizabeth isn't a character who has sensuality in her life. Um, she's not someone who like stops and smells the roses. She doesn't enjoy the sensuality of food or of sex or of clothes. She's not like a shopping addict. She, she's not really a fashionista. So what she does is she has a stylist who puts together her outfits for her. And you see in one of the first scenes, it's all kind of like set up for her. She doesn't do anything that wastes her time in in her opinion, so she's very um, technical about that. And clothes for her are a form of intimidation. They're unsexualized. You don't see cle- she's not someone to show cleavage or anything like that. And it makes her very complicated too, because she dresses so aggressively. The men in the workplace don't quite know what to do with her. Elizabeth is a fearless force in a male-dominated industry. How vital is it for audiences to see women in positions of power, both on and off screen? It's so important to see uh, women in position of power. It's so important to see women as prepared and ambitious. For some reason, society, and I, and I don't know if you guys have this term here in the UK, but in the United States, um, there's a term that we call, that I don't, but that women get labeled as tryhards, hards um, which means, oh, she just tries too hard. Oh, gosh, she's too much. She tries too hard. What's wrong with that? Men don't get labeled that, right? They're then you know, go-getters. Men are go-getters and girls are try-hards. I want to eliminate that. So I want to put as many depictions of women in the media that are ambitious, that are prepared, um, outgoing, go-getters as we can. So young girls that grow up know that they can be that and they should be that. So the UK has a general election. Why is it important for people to go out and vote? It's always important to vote. I mean, we just had our election and I think it was less than 30% of the population voted. I also heard, I mean, I could be wrong with my figure, so please tell me, but I know with Brexit, with you guys, it was something like 80% of young people wanted to remain and yet only 20% of them voted. I think that's correct? Something like that, yeah. yeah. So yeah, you can't just complain about what's going on in the world. You know, you can't really just look at pictures of the same people putting forth laws and legislation without diversity, and say, well, that's a problem, and not vote to change it. Yes, okay, one vote. When you say, like, okay, the hopelessness, what do I do? I'm just one person. One vote, sure. Maybe you feel like that's not important. But one voice, yeah, that can be quiet. But if you look at the largest protest in the history of the United States, it's the Women's March. It's a collective group. It's a collection of votes, and it is very intimidating, that power. So yes, you may feel like you have one vote, but your one vote adds to that collective voice um, that will um, shape the world into what you want it to be.
0: You know, there's definitely something about this film and politics, and I don't just mean the setting. It premiered in the States just a couple of days after the presidential election, which did not help it at the box office. Now it's in the UK during our general election. And, of course, there's the whole gun control angle in the storyline. Elizabeth Sloane is the political lobbyist that everybody wants on their side. She's poached by a rival agency to work on a piece of law reform. That's where the gun control thing comes in. And she takes the brightest and best of her team with her. They put together a plan that has their opponents on the run until they decide to play dirty. Now, this is packaged up as a meaty thriller in a political setting. The shades of the West Wing about it, particularly in its very wordy script. And at the centre of it all is the very complicated Sloane. She's hard to understand, hard to like, and one step ahead of everybody just about all of the time. And that's what causes all the twists and turns, all of which really get your attention right from the start. Chastain herself grabs the role by the throat and gives it full throttle from her cunning and manipulative way of working right down to her killer heels and chip-free nails. And it all makes for an eminently watchable film. Not a great one, admittedly, but certainly a good one with a dynamite performance at its heart. One that means you eventually find yourself actually liking her. From the world of politics to another world entirely in Alien Covenant.
1: This is weed. What are the odds of finding human vegetation this far from Earth?
0: Who planted it?
1: You hear that? What? Nothing.
0: No birds. No animals. Nothing. Catherine Waterston saying what everybody else is thinking in Alien Covenant in cinemas now, Certificate 15. As is the way of things, this is a sequel, and it's a prequel as well. Sequel because it picks up where Prometheus left off five years ago. Prequel because Prometheus was set before the original Alien films. The covenant of the title is a colony ship. It's taking 2,000 pioneers to another planet seven years away to start a whole new life, and that includes the crew as well, which is made up of couples. But it runs into trouble. The captain is killed, and the crew barely has time to get over that when his replacement hears a voice coming from a nearby planet and decides they should investigate. It turns out to be the same planet where the Prometheus had disappeared and they soon find out the reason why. Now, there's an awful lot that's familiar about Alien Government. We found out long ago what the enemy looks like, and there's no way you can reproduce the tension that went with the original alien. So director Ridley Scott has piled on the action and piled on the gore and given us plenty of both – It does manage, though, to take us in a bit of a new direction, up to a point anyway, and that's mainly because of Michael Fassbender in a double role, playing two synthetics, or between you and me, robots. If the film belongs to anybody, it belongs to him. But where this new direction takes us remains to be seen, as does how much more Ridley Scott can make out of what is now a very familiar story. The film stands up quite happily on its own as a piece of gruesome sci-fi, But in the end, you can't shake off the feeling that you've seen this all before. Back down to earth now, and it doesn't get much earthier or indeed muddier, than the farm in the levelling. Was this Harry's idea? The sale? We need the money. The stock
1: is our only asset. We sell the stock, we get the
0: money, the farm is safe. Harry gets the farm we have a party everyone's happy i don't think harry was happy it's just a bloody stupid accident Ellie Kendrick, yes, from Game of Thrones and David Troughton as her dad facing an uncertain future on the farm in The Leveling, which is the debut feature from the British writer-director Hope Dixon-Leach. It's in cinemas and on digital download now, Certificate 15. And Kendrick returns to the family farm in Somerset after the floods of 2014. Her brother has died suddenly. The farm is in chaos and her father is a shadow of his former self. Their relationship has been fractured for some time. This could be the opportunity they need to settle their differences. Now this is no everyday story of country folk, even if David Trouton is currently best known for his role in The Archers. The place is strewn with debris, there's mud everywhere, and the ground floor of the house is uninhabitable, so he's having to make do in a caravan, and the family is all over the place as well. Underneath the bitterness and grief that divides father and daughter, there's issues that affect the farming community, rural suicides, which were on the increase at the time, and the general hardships facing farmers. They're supposed to be the guardians of the land, nurturing growth, but here we see cattle being slaughtered and a bull calf being shot, because there's no money in them. The film is very nearly a two-hander, with all the attention on Kendrick and Troughton, and they both deliver strong emotional performances. Kendrick is especially impressive, and this marks her out as one to watch for the future. The levelling itself is a multi-layered film, which takes its time squelching through the mud of the farm and indeed the family relationships. It's a sobering experience, but a very satisfying one. From the farm now to the boxing ring in Jawbone.
1: If you want to get yourself smashed to bits, that's your choice. But I promised Bill I was going to get you ready for this fight.
0: And I'm going to honour that.
1: If you don't put it in this ring, that lad's going to empty you. If you're going to get hurt, or maybe that's what you want.
0: Michael Smiley laying it on the line for boxer Johnny Harris in Jawbone in Cinemas Now Certificate 15. Yes, it's another boxing movie after the likes of The Pyramid Texts and, of course, Ollie Meckie. This, however, is more traditional in the sense that it's about redemption, with a former amateur champion, Jimmy, that's Harris, hitting rock bottom. His mother's died, his wife and child have gone, he's lost his home, and he's hit the bottle. In a last-ditch bid to clean up his act, he goes back to boxing and takes an unlicensed fight so that he can make some quick money. Harris doesn't just play the lead role, he wrote the script based on his experiences as an amateur boxer and he's a producer and that makes it a deeply personal film and it shows so much that you can almost smell the sweat. It also makes it incredibly intense, as direct and as straightforward as one of his character's right hooks. It never fails to absorb and it never gets near the ropes. Non-boxing fans might find the latter stages of the film a bit hard-going, but there is more than enough here in the way of believable characters and strong, clear narrative to make up for that. Most importantly, there's an emotional honesty that guarantees your involvement from start to finish. The film has a heart, and it beats Loudly, You're listening to Talking Pictures. Also in cinemas this week is a re-release of Woody Allen's Manhattan, his love letter to his favourite city in beautiful black and white. If you've not seen it before, and it is nearly 40 years old, it is definitely worth it for the romance and the deliciously funny dialogue. And if you have seen it before, then just refresh your memory. The second film from Timothy Spall in A Fortnight is also out this week. It's called Away, and while he and Juno Temple are impressive in an odd couple story, the film itself doesn't really live up to them. This is Talking Pictures. I know everything about you, Conor O'Malley. No, you don't! If you did, you know I don't have time to listen to stupid stories from a stupid tree that is just a dream.
1: A dream? What is a dream, Conor O'Malley? And who's to say that it is not everything else that is a dream?
0: And on DVD, there's the first in a Liam Neeson double bill, A Monster Calls, and we heard him there as the gravelly voice of the tree monster. Lewis MacDougall is the boy who's having a bad time. His mother is being treated for cancer, and he is petrified she is going to die. He's visited by Neeson's monster, who, although he seems menacing at first, starts to help him deal with his problems and facing problems and being honest about them is what the film is all about. It's hard enough for adults to deal with what life throws at them, but here it's an 11-year-old boy who's struggling to cope with life-changing events and his feelings about them. The film comes with a weepy warning. It has the unerring ability to dig deep, find those painful memories you thought you'd completely buried, and give them a really good prod. So, prepare yourself for an emotional roller coaster and one that is beautifully made. The other Liam Neeson DVD comes from Martin Scorsese. It's silence.
1: Garupe and I had absolutely no luggage to bring to Japan except our own hearts. And during the calm and storm of the voyage, I reflected upon the 20 years which has passed since the persecution has broken out. The black soil of Japan is filled with the wailing of so many Christians. The red blood of priests has flowed profusely. The walls of the churches have fallen down.
0: Andrew Garfield is one of two 17th century Jesuit priests who go in search of their mentor reportedly lost to the church in Japan in Scorsese's silence. Japan is a country where their religion is outlawed. Christians are persecuted, tortured and executed. So it's a quest full of dangers, physical and spiritual. And at the heart of the film is a single question. Can faith be obliterated once it's taken hold? The Japanese Christian community is terrified of being discovered, but they resolutely hold on to their beliefs. They're tested in the same way as the priests, and because they're peasants, they suffer agonising torture and gruesome ends. And some of those scenes are both shocking and distressing. It's a film that boasts truly impressive performances. Garfield continues his return to form since the Spider-Man debacle, while Adam Driver as his companion comes close to breaking your heart. If anything, we just don't see enough of him. Silence has the contemplative feel of a film made by an older man. Powerful, emotionally shattering at times, it moves at a slow, steady pace, but it never drags. Nor does it offer any answers to its questions. So watch it with an open mind. You're listening to Talking Pictures. Also on DVD this week is Passengers with Chris Pratt as yet another one of thousands heading for a new life in outer space. He's woken up early and then he decides he wants some company. And there's Man Down with Shia LaBeouf as an ex-marine with PTSD. A film that shoots itself in the foot repeatedly. This is Talking Pictures. This is Talking Pictures this is Talking Pictures. With Frida Cooper. So that's this week's lineup. My film of the week actually comes from the DVDs, and it's a monster calls beautiful and heartbreaking. But there have to be honorary mentions for both the levelling and Jawbone, although I can't really see either of them making much of an impression at the box office, although I'd love to be proved wrong. We'll have to leave that to Alien Covenant, although whether it will knock Guardians of the Galaxy 2 off the number one slot rather remains to be seen. In the meantime, let's see where we are now. It's the new top five at the British box office. And there's just one new entry at the box office this week, which means there's little much in the way of change. So at number five, it's Disney's Beauty and the Beast, which has now taken over a staggering £71 million in this country. At four comes the Boss Baby, while at three it's Fast and Furious 8. The one and only new entry comes in at two, and it's a dog's purpose. But it'll have to run a whole lot faster to catch this week's number one, which is still... Guardians of the Galaxy, Volume 2. Now, repeat back what I just said. I am good. Uh Uh-huh. I am good. That's right. I am good. No! Now that's the button that will kill everyone! And in this week's movie news headlines, a third movie about the rapper Tupac has been announced, this time the official documentary, directed by Steve McQueen. The Irishman, which is Martin Scorsese's film for Netflix and stars Robert De Niro and Al Pacino, starts shooting in August, and Jackie Chan and Sylvester Stallone are teaming up for the first time ever to star in ex-Baghdad. With a budget of $80 million, it could turn out to be one of the biggest films to come out of China. And that's all from this week's Talking Pictures. On next week's show, Guy Ritchie brings us his version of that geyser King Arthur. You've got the wrong man, sire. I was born in a brothel on a bridge in Londinium. The sword can only be drawn by Uther Pendragon or his direct air. You felt it, didn't you? The power.
1: That's what put you out. You just don't know how to control
0: it. Well, on DVD, it's this year's big Oscar winner, La La Land. Plus, there's the new top five at the British box office and the latest movie news headlines. So I'll be back with another edition of Talking Pictures next week. Until then, enjoy the movies!